Welcome to Impact Church's podcast with Pastor Travis Hearn. Pastor Travis also serves as the team pastor for the NBA's Phoenix Suns and has served Major League Baseball as the team chaplain for over a decade. Today, he leads us with a powerful and hope-filled message. We're so glad you're tuning in, and we believe that wherever you're listening from, that God will impact your life through today's message. If you have your notes, you can open them up, your impact applications. But um, I want to give you three more keys, three more key ingredients to winning and growing in God's favor today. And just know this, that when it comes to God's plan for your life, like Nehemiah's, God will never give you a dream without giving you the means. God will never give you a vision without giving you the provision. That's what God does. He gives the idea but he also gives you the way to make it happen. And so today I want to look at three key ingredients to favor in your lives. Number one, if you're taking notes, you can write this down, is that favor follows the righteous. Favor follows the righteous. So David also said in Psalm 5 too, he said, Surely, Lord, you will bless the righteous. You will surround them with your favor as a shield. I love that verse because... It talks about, hey, if I walk right with God, if I'm righteous, if I'm righteous before God, he is going to put a shield around me, a shield of protection, a shield of favor that it changes everything that I'm going to do from this day forward because I have God's shield around me. Now, in Matthew 5, somebody say Matthew 5, Matthew 5, we have the Sermon on the Mount. It is the most famous sermon ever preached. In fact, it was preached by Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is the greatest preacher in the history of all preachers. I call Jesus the sermonator. He could preach. The second greatest preacher in the history of the nation is this dude in Scottsdale. His name, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm really not full of myself. i full of Jesus Christ though. I love my Lord and Savior. But The second greatest preacher was probably the Apostle Paul in the Bible. He was outstanding. But in Matthew 5, Jesus starts off in the Sermon on the Mount. and He talks about favor. Imagine this. It's the first thing he ever preaches. It's the very first thing he ever taught of all of his teachings. And he comes out talking about favor. He talks about blessings. And so this is what I'm going to read a little bit of this to you. It's called the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, I call them attitudes that we ought to be, right? These are spiritual attitudes. And this is what he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So these are the Beatitudes. These are how Jesus came out. Man, he came out strong. Hey, let's talk about blessing. You want blessing in your life? You want favor in your life? Be a peacemaker. You want favor? Be a person that's meek. You want favor? He talks about all these attitudes. And then after this is when he goes into the idea and the illustration that you are the salt of the world. You are the light of the world. And so it's this great teaching. But I want to zoom in real quick on Matthew 5, 6. Look at it with me. We already read it. But Matthew 5, 6. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Let's read this verse out loud together. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I love this verse. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. So I think it's an important question to slow down for a minute and ask ourselves, what are you hungry for? 
right? What are you actually hungry for today? What are you starving for? What does your soul crave? What are you thirsty for? Everybody is hungry for something. Some people are starving for attention. Some people are money hungry. Some people are power hungry. Some people are lust hungry. Some people are ego hungry and they're constantly trying to feed their ego. Some people are hungry for a relationship. See, here's the biggest problem with all of those is not one of those brings the favor of God upon your life. Not one of them. I'm not saying they're not good things to have. They can be good. Some of them can be bad. But not one brings the favor of God. The only thing that brings the favor of God is when you're hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. So you want God's favor in your life? Listen, get hungry for an encounter with God. Get hungry for a move of God. Get hungry for the presence of God. Get hungry for the word of God. Get hungry for worshiping God. Get hungry for the heartbeat of God. And that is the road to favor. That's the road to favor. It's interesting because... Here's the facts. You end up feeding yourself whatever you're hungry for. You end up feeding yourself whatever you're hungry for. You know, have you ever gone out after church and you're like, what do you want to eat? Man, I want some pizza. I'm craving pizza really bad, man. I need some pizza. Okay, let's go get some tacos. You don't do that. You go get what you're hungry for. You eat what you crave. And the same is true in life. You end up eating what you're hungry for. And listen, you feed yourself. What you feed yourself is what you become full of. Some of you in here, you're full of... (laughs) Do. Because you've been feeding yourself do. Some of you are full of negativity because all you feed yourself is negativity. Some of you, you're worried and fearful all the time because you let the devil feed you fear and worry all the time. Some of you, you're a guilty, guilt-driven, driven by shame because you're feeding yourself those things in life. The failures, the mistakes, the, the flaws of humanity. Listen, what you eat is what you become. That's why we have this saying, you are, you are what you eat. You are, right? You are what you eat. Physically, that is true. Physically, that's true. We can literally see that on you. What you eat. What you eat. Okay? Spiritually, it's true. Emotionally, it's true. Relationally, it's true. You are what you eat. And so look at somebody and tell them right now, I want you to just tell them this. Look at them straight in the eye and say, he's talking to you right now. Go ahead. He's talking to you right now. I want you to look at somebody else and I want you to tell them this. Look at somebody right now. Just find somebody. Look at somebody. You don't even know this person. Just be real awkward. And tell, tell them you need to change your diet. Go ahead. You need to change your diet. You need to start eating healthy. I'm not talking about physically, although that's biblical too. But you need to start eating healthy. So he says, blessed are those. You want God's favor, blessing, happiness. Blessed are those who are hungry and who are thirsty for righteousness because favor, it follows righteousness. We see this all throughout scripture. Joseph, Moses, Ruth. Samuel, Esther, Daniel, David, even Mary. An angel shows up to Mary and says, you are blessed and highly favored. These are people that were righteous. Favor follows the righteous. If some of you are suffering or you're depleted in the area of favor today, you might want to take a look at how you're living your life. Favor follows righteousness. Noah also found favor with God. It's an interesting story 
in Genesis 6, we know that God flooded the earth, but God's heart was grieved and broken for the moral and spiritual condition of the world. God's heart was broken for the decay of humanity. Humanity was spiritually bankrupt. And it was giving in to all of its sin-filled desires. And I want to read to you a little bit here in Genesis 6-5. The Bible says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart, it was only evil at the time. Verse 8, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah, Noah found favor because Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. So Noah found favor. Everybody else is living with a wicked heart, full of corruption, full of perversion. Everybody, God's heart is broken except for Noah. Noah found favor with God because he was a righteous man. Now listen, it doesn't stop there. Noah's righteousness not only brought favor upon his own life, but it brought favor upon his family's life. Because Noah was righteous and found right before God, God saved Noah and his entire family. In other words, the principle here is that favor overflows. When you have favor on your life, the people around you are going to have favor on their lives. I said this last week, some of you, you've got favor on your life and you don't even know why. You've got favor. You've been blessed. Your marriage is blessed. Your relationships are blessed. Your career, your business is blessed. You say, man, I don't even know why I have this favor because I'm certainly not righteous. I'm certainly haven't been faithful. Some of you, some of you have the favor in your life because of somebody else in your family. It could have been your mom. It could have been your grandma. It could have been your grandma's grandma. Favor, it follows generations. Generational favor is a biblical concept. So you find favor by whom you're connected to. Okay? Noah found favor with God and his family found favor with God. God's favor will bless your life and it will bless the lives of others. That's how favor works. Okay, let's look at number two. If you want God's favor in your life, well, favor follows the generous. Favor follows the generous. I was thinking about this yesterday, and I was thinking if somebody that knew me really, really well could sum up my life in five words, what would those five words be? I'm not talking about you guys summing up my life in five words. Because you guys think I'm, you know, holier than I am or better than I am. But if I were to ask the closest people to me, what are the five words that come to your mind when you think of me? Uh, I don't know what they would say because I didn't ask anybody yet. But what I hoped they would say, what I hope they would say is that he is a generous man. That he is a generous person. That he will give his life away. For others. Generosity. Generosity. I don't want to be generous so that God is generous with me. Isn't that a warped sense of generosity? Like, I'll give to you because I know God's going to hook a brother up. So, like, that's a warped sense of generosity. But I do want to be a man of generosity. I want to be a man who's sympathetic and empathetic. I want to be a man known for knowing the word of God. I want to be a man known for being a person of prayer, being a person of worship, right? I want to be known for being a good husband, being a good daddy. Like when I think of these concepts, so let me just flip the question. What do you think people would say about you? What would be five words that the closest people to you would say about you? And I hope that one of those words would be that you're generous, that you're a generous person because know this, if you are generous, God is going to be generous with you. It's not why we do it, but it is why God does it. 
And so the word says, Jesus said this in Mark 4. He said, generosity begets generosity, but stinginess, it impoverishes. Okay, Solomon echoed these same words in the book of Proverbs 11, verses 24 and 25. Look what he says here. He says, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper, and whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. So there is a spiritual law in the Bible. I teach on it all the time. There's a spiritual law. There's a bunch of spiritual laws in the Bible. But one of the spiritual laws in the Bible is the law of the harvest. There is the law of the harvest that goes along with reaping and sowing. And sowing and reaping. You grow what you sow. You grow what you sow. If you're a person of anger, people are going to be angry with you. If you're kind, you're going to find that people are kind with you. You grow the seeds that you sow. That is a fact It is a spiritual fact. It is a physical, earthly fact. Okay, it's the law of the harvest. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, if you want to become generous, you are going to see the generous favor of God on your life. This is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. He's trying to tell the church in Corinth. Somebody say Corinth. Let's say everybody say Corinth. Corinth was like the Vegas of Jesus' time. No, really, it was. It was like Vegas. It was Sin City. It was not the most, you know, spiritually sound location on the planet. And he's telling the church, it's like, you know, the Romans only needed one book, Romans. Corinthians, they needed two, baby. First and second Corinthians. He's trying to tell the people in Corinth. So he writes these letters, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, to the church in Corinth. Look what he says. He says, but since you excel in everything, 2nd Corinthians 8, 7. Since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you. Look at this part. See also that you excel in this grace of giving. Okay? Giving is a skill. Giving is a habit that we learn. It is a gift that we can grow in. It is something that God wants us to be excellent in. Look at your neighbor and tell him, God wants you to be an excellent giver. Go ahead and tell him that. God wants you to be an excellent giver. He does. He wants you to be an excellent giver. By the way, Father God is an excellent giver. He gave us the Word of God. He gave us the Ten Commandments. He gave us His Holy Spirit. He gave us salvation through giving us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. God is an excellent giver. And if we're going to become like God in our character and in our spiritual growth, we need to learn to be excellent givers. I want to draw your attention to another. Uh, this, this. Listen, sometimes... I preach and sometimes I teach and then sometimes I do both and that's what today is. It's kind of both. So you're getting like a fire hose worth of Bible scriptures today. So this sermon might go till 5 p.m. If it does go into the next service, just kindly squeeze in butt cheek to butt cheek and we'll make room for everybody. For those of you that are first timers with us and you're thinking, I only wanted to spend an hour with you, you may leave at one hour. God bless you. But in John chapter 12, for those of you that are hungry and thirsty for righteousness in his namesake, in John chapter 12, he gives us a valuable lesson about generosity. This is absolutely powerful. Look what he says in John 12, verses 2 through 6. A dinner was prepared. In Jesus' honor, Martha served. Lazarus was among those who ate with them. Then Mary, not the mother of Mary, but Mary, took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. Not sure totally why we have to use the word nard today. but And she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. I mean, this is a beautiful moment. The house was filled with this fragrance, but Judas Iscariot, 
the disciple who would soon betray Jesus, said that perfume was worth a year's worth of wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Look what the Bible says. A little bit further it says, not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole from it. Yo, this story is crazy. It amazes me because in this one passage, you see two types of different people in the story. You see two types of different people in this story that are also in this room today, that are also in our world today. And there are two types of people that represent two types of spirits. And I've taught this before, but it's been a while, so I'm going to teach this part again. I want you to write this down. Two types of spirits. A, you have a merry spirit, which we are calling a generous spirit. Mary was generous. A generous spirit, right? She took a bottle of perfume that cost a year's worth of wages, and she used that bottle of perfume to serve and worship Jesus. She understood what true value was. She understood what really mattered in life. Jesus, not the perfume, not the money. Jesus is what actually matters in life. And I'll take a year's, five years, ten years. I'll take my whole life and the whole value of my life and I'll pour it over the feet of Jesus because he's the only one that actually matters. So she understood what mattered most. Now imagine for a minute this magnitude, the magnitude of what Mary did. A year's worth of salary. Okay, that's pretty big. How many can just think of a number of what you approximately make in one year? If you could just think of a number, approximately what you make in a year, and you kind of know that number, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. What do you make in a year? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, man. I'm just messing with you. I'm just messing with you. So you take that. And you buy a bottle of perfume. Now, for some of you, that's a little Walmart, you know, thing of perfume. It's $14.99. That was what it cost you for you. For some of you, man, it's that Gucci perfume, you know. You go into the Scottsdale Fashion Square. Give me a bottle of Gucci's Finest. And you buy that. It costs you a year's worth of wages, right? Right? And you, you, you just, just think for a minute. Like, if you took a year's salary and you just turn that into whatever a perfume, a cologne bottle would cost, and you pour that over the feet of Jesus. That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about a generous spirit. Letter B, I want you to write this down, because here's the other spirit here. The other spirit is a Judas spirit, which is a selfish spirit. It's a greedy spirit. Now listen, I love our city. Does anybody else love the city of Phoenix and Scottsdale? And I love... I love it. The valley. I love it. The valley. I love it. I love our city. But one of the things, you know, every city has spiritual strongholds. If you could put on these spiritual gaggles, goggles, and you could see into the, the spirit world, you could probably see demons and angels warring over our souls. The Bible talks about principalities. There's demons, legions of darkness that surround over certain cities. Some cities, it would be an interesting city to know which cities struggle in the area of infidelity or immorality more than other cities. It would be interesting to see the different sins and the different darkness over each city. One of the things that our area struggles with is greed. It is. It's greed. Okay. We all are susceptible to struggles, but this specific area struggles with when is enough too enough? When is enough enough? When is it too much? When is everything I have, you know, it's enough for me. I can learn to be content. No, we struggle in the area of greed. I need a bigger house. I need a nicer car. I need a newer car. Now I got a new house. Now I need another new house. And you know what? The equity I have is not enough. I need more houses and I need more of this and I need another business and another business. And I'm not saying, look, money is not evil. That is not the word of God. Money is not evil or good. It's not bad or good. It's simply a tool. It can be good, it can be bad, but it's neutral. Okay, What happens with money has everything to do with the person who has it. 
Okay, so what I'm saying is, is that there are a lot of people in this world today that have Judas spirits. They have a greedy spirit, a cheating spirit, a selfish spirit. They'll do anything to get a little bit more money. Judas was a fraud. He was a fraud. Mary poured the expensive perfume out over the feet of Jesus and he's losing his complete mind. That perfume was worth a year's wages. We should have sold it and given it to the poor. But he was a fraud. He was a liar and he was a thief. He didn't care about the poor. He was taking some of that money and shaving it off for himself. You know what I've learned? What'd you learn, Pastor Travis? I've learned that hypocrites always hide behind criticism. That the most critical people are the ones that are trying to get the attention off their own lives and point it on other people's lives because of their problems. Frauds always try to point out the flaws of others. And Judas was selfish. Now remember, he's one of the original 12 disciples. Of Jesus Christ. He's a disciple. He walked with them. He talked with them. He watched Jesus do the miraculous. He watched him raise Lazarus from the dead. Who was in this room at this very time. But Judas was also the person in charge of the ministry box of money for Jesus. And he was stealing from it. He was selfish. And he was greedy. Listen, it's the very same selfishness. And it's the very same greed that eventually brought Judas to his death. Eventually it took him down because he loved money so much that he made a deal with the devil. He made a deal with some people and said, look, I'll tell you where Jesus is right now. If you pay me deal, he gets 30 pieces of silver to tell the soldiers where Jesus is. They go, they arrest him. Jesus goes through six trials all night, all night. People don't realize that Jesus was arrested And then went through trial after trial, six of them, three religious, three civil, until the time of his crucifixion. Judas all of a sudden realizes the magnitude of what he's done. And he takes the silver and he goes to the temple and he throws it in the temple. And the Bible says that he goes out and he hangs himself. See, Judas made a deal with the devil. Never make a deal with the devil. Never make a deal that will cost you your entire soul. That is what we have today. Everybody's like, oh, Judas, he was such a bad guy. Judas was a bad guy. Judas sold Jesus out. Why was Judas a bad guy? Judas was a bad guy because he put money before Jesus. He put money before Jesus. So I wonder how many of us could have a Judas spirit. And we also put money before Jesus. Favor follows the generous. Proverbs 22. I love this verse. I love the way it's worded in the New King James Version. He says, he who has a generous eye. I don't know if you can circle those two words. We're we're developing a new app, by the way. I hate to tell you guys that because now everybody's used to this one. But we're developing a new app because the current application that we use is going out of business so we have to develop a new app but the new app will be able to write on on the actual uh, since this is not really biblical I have nothing to say yes the screen thank you you'll be able to write highlight take notes all those things be able to share your notes but I love this because he says He who has a generous eye. You know what that means? It means that my eyes are adjusted to looking for ways to give. A generous eye means you don't have to say, PT, I'm in need. A generous eye notices. A generous eye is always looking for ways to bless others. Because a generous eye knows that their eyes and their bodies are blessed to be a blessing. And when you fully get a hold of the fact that you're blessed to be a blessing, favor will shower down on your life like you cannot ever imagine. Favor 
We're talking about favor. This is what Paul said also to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. He said, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. But whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And this is not, you know, this is not like rocket science or trying to do like, you know, trigonometry or like polynomials or something stupid that the world shouldn't even have anyway. This is like, if I sow some seeds in my backyard, I'm going to reap the product of the amount of seeds that I sowed. Very simple. Now, if you apply that spiritually, if you apply that to finances and to our giving, the amount that I sow is the amount that I grow. Right? So he's saying, whoever sows sparingly is going to reap sparingly. Generosity begets generosity. This leads us to my third point that I want to talk about for a minute is favor follows putting God first. Putting God first. You know what I've noticed more in my life, at least in this state, is that if you go house to house, do you believe in God? Do you believe in God? Do you believe in God? The majority of people will say yes. The problem isn't that we have a disbelief in God. The problem is, is that we don't put God first. The problem isn't even that in this nation that we have a disbelief in God. Unfortunately, it's often that we have a disbelief in church. Which is really, really sad. So, when the church gets sideways, the church, a pastor, a priest, a bishop, name it, when they don't keep God first, that's when they and their ministry can get sideways. The same is true individually. When I don't keep God first, I love God, He's just not first. I believe in Jesus Christ, He's just not number one in my life. I believe He is who He said He is. I go to Impact Church. You know, studies show that today's churchgoers go 1.1 time a month. And that fascinates me as a preacher because when I got saved, man, let me tell you something. Every time those church doors were open, I went. You know why? Because if you actually go all the time, anytime you can, you will find the same thing that I found, that church works. There's power in the church. Church works. Church is life-changing. Some of you, you attend 12 times a year, and you're like, I mean, it hasn't done much for me. Hey, let me, let me just say, I want you to do a study. Go to the gym 12 times a year. Some of you are like, I do, I do. You're talking to me right now, I do. You go to the gym, you know, I go January 1st through January 12th, and then that's, it's the same thing, right? It's the same thing. Yeah, I tried church once, it didn't work. I tried Celebrate Recovery once. I didn't like that Pastor Ken guy. He's so nice, he's awkward, he's so nice, he's so nice. Like, church works, but it only works when you work it into being the priority of your life. It's got to be priority in your life. So, favor, we're talking about favor. I'm not saying you can't get to heaven if God's not number one. I don't know. That's between God and you. Okay. But I'm talking about fa- I'm talking about favor. Like, do you want God's favor or not God's favor? If you want God's favor, that's who I'm, you want preferential treatment in your life. Right? Hey, let me give you a little secret sauce. If the sons win this whole thing. I mean, I don't want to take all the credit, but I've been telling the guys three of my last like six chapel services. I talk about favor. 
I'm teaching them the same thing I'm teaching you. Don't you want, hey, don't you want the ball to go your way? Don't you want the ball comes off the rim? Oh, well, looky here, right? Don't you want the calls? So I pray at the end of every chapel, God, we pray the calls go our way and the balls go our way. Every chapel, favor, favor. Go back and watch the last few games and you tell me there's not some sort of weird favor going on with the Phoenix Suns right now. It, it, it certainly helps when the general manager is on fire for Jesus Christ and the head coach is on fire for Jesus Christ. It certainly helps. We're talking about favor in life, just in life. I want the calls my way in life. I want the ball to bounce my way. I, I want God's favor. I want God's favor. You want God's favor. You have to put God first. You have to put God first. Listen, you have to put God first, not second, not third, not 10th, number one. Now, life is made up of all these things we do. We do. We do this. We do that. Right. We're a daddy. We're a husband. We're a wife. We're a business person or a partner, whatever we are. There's these things that we do. We do our job. We got to do our chores at home and the responsibilities we have. I love this verse in Proverbs as well. Chapter three, verse six, he says, in everything, in everything you do, put God first and then check it out. And he will direct you and crown your efforts with success in everything you do. If you're a daddy, put God first. If you're a husband, Put God first. If you're a wife, put God first. If you're a grandma, grandpa, put God first. If you're a business owner, put God first. An employee, a teammate, a coach, a teacher, a lawyer. I don't know if you can actually do that as a lawyer. I'm just kidding. If you're in law, it was a joke. People can't take a joke today. Did you notice that? I'm going to do another sermon. People can't take a joke. You know, I posted a picture of that demon-possessed NBA referee on my Instagram. You guys know who I'm talking about? I'm not going to say his name. Don't say his name. But I posted it on my Instagram, at Travis Hearn, if you missed out. And I said, somebody needs a f- <laughs> sons and four, this guy. And if you remember the sons and four guy, it's a fan, a resident, who lives in Denver. And Phoenix went to play in Denver. And this fan started getting picked on by Denver Nugget fans. So the Phoenix Suns fan just turned around and beat like two of them up. <laughs> so the official so bad, I said, somebody needs to... And he was like, Suns in four. He's like killing this dude, just popping him over and over. And then he's like, Suns in four. And so I said, somebody needs the Suns in four, this official. Guys, this is a joke. It's a joke. Because there were a few comments. You should... You should wish harm on no one. I'm like, please go to another church. I hate to say that. I know it's so bad. It's not, it's not that I don't care for your soul. I care for your soul. I just don't care for... <laughs> I want you to go to heaven. Just like a different area from where I will be in. I'm just kidding. kidding. I know that's messed up. I'm just kidding. The things I do, I do think, put God first. Whatever you do, doing things, right? Places I go. Geographically. Mentally. Doing things. The people I hang. That's doing things people I hang with. The people you're dating. That's doing things, right? So here's a question. To ask yourself, what are the things you're doing? Okay. And is God first in those things you're doing? What are the things you're doing? And is God first in those things? Listen, some of us, some of us are doing things that God won't even be a part of, let alone being first in. Some of us are doing things You can't put God one, but he didn't want anything to do with what you're doing. So we're talking about favor. 
This is what the word says in Matthew 6.33. These are the words of Christ again. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. I like those words. Seek first. Seek first. Seek first. Because for some people, the reason their life is so screwed up is because you seek other things first. Right? You're seeking attention. Or you're seeking a woman or a man or a relationship. You're seeking a career. You're seeking your money or affirmation or whatever. God wants to be number one in your life. He wants to be number one. In fact, all the way back in the beginning, when God gave Moses, us, the Ten Commandments, the first thing he says, the first commandment, number one, the very first thing he says is he says, you shall have no other gods before me. Okay. What does he mean by no other gods? He means false idols. There is only one God. He means false idols. You shall have no other gods. What is a false idol? Then he goes on to say, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow to them or worship them for I listen to this. The Lord, your God am a jealous God. Punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Yo. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Can you imagine it's possible that if you love God and keep his commandments that a thousand generations from now your life made an impact on one of your family members? So I don't know if I got time to get into this. I do. It's 1019. Does it feel like 1019? Where did time go? So there's two major areas that God tests us to see if he's first. Some of you know this because I've taught it. Some of you might not. Either way, it's a good reminder. But it's in our time and it's in our treasures. These are the two litmus tests in the Bible for us to kind of assess, is God number one? Let's talk about your time. If God is number one in your time, then he's the first thing you think of when you wake up. He's the first thing you give your attention to. You know what? I'm going to wake up. I'm going to give a half hour to my Lord. And I'm going to read some scripture. And I'm going to pray. That would be God first in every day of your life. How about every week? If God is first in your time, then I ought to make sure that church is a regular part of my life. So I'm going to go to church consistently. Right? Because God's first. In fact, your time is so important to God that it's listed as one of the Ten Commandments. One of the Ten Commandments. Remember, number four. He says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. So the Sabbath is simply defined as a day of rest and worship. That's what Sabbath is. Rest and worship. Listen, it's not worship only. It's not rest only. It's a day of rest and worship. So how do I remember the Sabbath? Well, once a week, I need to relax, get rejuvenated, get recouped for the next week coming up. And I need to worship. And by the way, worship and the word always fills your tank for the week coming forward. Every time you worship and you fill your heart and soul with the word, it fills your spiritual tank for the week coming. A day of rest and a day of worship. He says, keep it holy. How do I keep it holy? I rest and I worship. Okay. So keeping the Sabbath is one of the ways to make sure that God's number one in your life. Uh, Some people don't realize how powerful 
churches. But once you plug in to the family of God, you start to realize how life changing it is. God wants to be first in your life, in your day, in your week, in your year, in your month. Develop a daily quiet time. This is part of what we talk about in our icy growth track. What is a daily quiet time? What does it look like? What should it consist of? Okay. What does time with God look like? The other test is in our treasures. Our treasures are our finances, our money. Now, I talked about this a few months back, but I read this statement Billy Graham said, and he said, your bank statement is a theological statement. It tells you who and what you worship. Did you guys hear that? Your bank statement, it's a theological statement. It tells you who and what you worship. I will say it tells you who and what's first in your life. It does. It tells you what you love the most. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, he said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Because what we love is what we give to. Now, your bank statement is either evidence that God is number one or evidence that God is not. By the way, you know that Jesus spoke and taught more about money and possessions than any other topic. Over a third of his parables have to do with money and possessions. You know why? Because he knew we would need some help with it. He knew we would need some help mastering our money so that our money didn't become our master. Because then Jesus goes on to say, you cannot serve both God and money. You're going to have to pick one. So, God wants to be first. I want to read to you in Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. It says this. These are the words of Solomon again. And he says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with your first fruits and with all of your harvest. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new new wine. If you could, I wish you could, but you probably can't. But honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits. The word first fruits is a big deal in the Bible. And to me, it's kind of eye opening, like it changes everything when you look at the word first fruits. Because we talk about tithing, every church on the planet talks about tithing. If you're a Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, scripture-reading, you know, person, you already have heard about tithing. Tithing is giving God 10% of my income. But the first fruits, that's a game-changer concept because God wants to be first in your life. And he talked about this concept of first fruits over and over and over and over again. In fact, in Exodus 13, God declared that the firstborn of every child must be consecrated to him as their first fruits, dedicated, set apart, my first fruits. This is my first of three children. God, this is for you. I dedicate this child to you. In Joshua 6, the Israelites, they took over Jericho and the walls came down. And when they went in, God told them, collect all the gold and collect all the silver and bring it to the Lord's house. Why? Because Jericho was the first city they conquered in the promised land. The first fruits are holy. They're a big deal to God. If you remember the story in Genesis, two brothers, Cain and Abel, they both brought an offering to God. God rejected one. He rejected Cain's offering, but he accepted Abel's offering. Why? Because Abel gave his first fruits. Cain gave his leftovers. First fruits. So I taught on this. In fact, there's a sermon if you want to learn more, because I don't have time to really dig into it today. There's a sermon on our YouTube channel, and I think it's titled, Is God First or But Is He First? Something like that. But it's a fairly in-depth teaching on first fruits. But the biggest point of this is this, is that God wants to be number one in your life. And nobody really knows, other than you and God, if He is truly number one. But if you want the favor of God on your life, I would encourage you to do everything in your power to make sure he's first. Number one, clear out everything that needs to be cleared out and make God first. Would you bow your heads with me and let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for your word on favor. 
Lord, we want your favor. We know that we can win it. We know that we can grow in it. God, we just ask for your favor in every area of our lives. God, today we want to take a moment to rededicate or dedicate our lives to you. God, we want you to be number one in our lives. Lord, that you would be our first priority. If nothing else happens that day, if nothing else happens that week, if nothing else happened in our time or our treasures, God, at least you happened. That you're on the forefront of our mind. You're not a second thought. You're not at the back of our minds. But God, you are truly, truly number one. If you're here today and you've never prayed to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you that opportunity right now to say, Jesus, today I give you my life. Thank you for giving up your life for me and dying on that cross for me. Lord, teach me to have a merry spirit to have generous eyes because we know that true living comes from giving. You said, Jesus, that it's more blessed to give than to receive. So God, teach us to be givers, excellent givers. And God, we start by telling you today that we give our life away for you. Father, we pray that we continue to grow in your favor, in our lives, in our marriages, in our families. We pray this in Jesus' name. We all say, amen. Come on, let's give it up for Jesus today. Thank you for joining us today. If you said that prayer and accepted Jesus into your heart, it's the best decision you could ever make. We want to celebrate with you and get you more connected. Visit www.impactchurch.com for more information about our church and how you can get plugged in here with us. Be sure to subscribe and share today's message with your friends. Thanks for tuning in, and we can't wait to hear how God has made an impact in your life.